Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. I hope you're all keeping safe and well and that any face-to-face lessons that are on the horizon are enjoyable, musical, but of course, safe. I can't wait to be back in the classroom to see the young musicians and, once again, to be able to do what I love doing, teaching music. Of course, the world continues to change rapidly, almost day to day, and I'm sure you, like me, are doing your very best to keep up, to keep reading, talking, understanding and learning. Every day is a school day, as they say. In this episode of Teaching Notes, I'll be chatting to three illustrious people from, or connected to, the transformational charity Brass for Africa. The founder, Jim Trott, the director of music education, Lizzie Burrows, and one of their patrons, a name familiar to us all, Alison Bolson. We'll also revisit the expo in March to find out about what future DJs can do for your school. But first, it's time to meet one of us, a music teacher. Anyone who is in the various Facebook groups will know the name Mark Aitchison. He's always on hand with a quick answer to quick queries and for more insightful advice on bigger matters. So I thought I'd give him a call to find out more about the man behind the name. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast a new MTA member, Mark Aitchison. Hello, Patrick. Thanks for inviting me. Just to fill you in before we start... I'm currently Head of Music at Droitwich Spa High School in leafy Worcestershire with a role of approximately 1,300 students starting at Year 8 entry and I've been in post two years. This is my second year. Previous to that, I was a teacher of music and drama in a brand new school, PFI Build, in Cheltenham All Saints Academy. Now, I understand, Mark, that you're something of an expert at turning departments around um not quite sure expert is the right word but i've certainly done that and now on my second time through at all saints academy it was a brand new school and its former schools hadn't taught for a while level two or certainly level three music and when we opened the academy it was a three-year key stage four and we started with four students in year nine who adopted for music and by the time I left in 2018 we had 30 a year out of a year group of 100 opting for music and as I left we entered our first GCSE cohort having done vocational beforehand. At Droitwich High School we opt at the end of year eight and The first year I was there, we doubled our numbers from 30 to 60. And our sixth form at Droitwich has gone from zero to this coming September, we're going to have a vocational course, which has got five students signed on for, and an A-level course that has got another five students signed on. That's amazing. How do you do it? What's your secret? I guess I'm a bit of a dog with a bone when it comes to getting work out of the students. I don't take no for an answer. And bizarrely, despite what I read a lot of times, it's allowing every student in the year group to opt for the subject and encouraging, actually, those that will only get into trouble if they're sat in subjects behind desks that's 90% literacy like the humanities. So I always encourage those to take music because whilst they're a handful, and I'm sure you can imagine what students I'm talking about, give them a keyboard, give them a drum kit, and eventually they'll get carried away and get so engrossed in what they're doing, the behaviour doesn't become an issue. 
So what kind of things do you do to prepare them? You and I have discussed before the importance of good, proper, robust schemes of work at Key Stage 3 to prepare for Key Stage 4. What kind of work do you do with students at Key Stage 3? Right, well, way back when we were designing the curriculum from fresh at All Saints Academy, we threw away the concept of doing units of work. So for the last 10 years, I have never done a, a unit of work based on Indian music, based on the blues. And we've started that with our year eights last year at Droitwich, which is why I think uptake's been so high. And we literally look at key concepts. So we look at chords and we look at how chords have been used in pop music, in a symphony in church music, in reggae. So we look at how chords are used and then we'll look at rhythm and we look at how rhythm's used around the world. We've got lots of drums that we bring out and we've got lots of samba kits and we've got access to a gamelan kit um, with a local music service. Terrific. And these units of work, if I can refer to them as that, how long do they last? Because, of course, a lot of schools still do the half-termly topic approach and by the sounds of it you don't no we don't our first topic in year nine for example looks at chords and textures and they learn to play or learn to perform about four different pop songs and the chords are pretty much the same in each song we just choose keys that make it more awkward so we don't do anything in the key of c from year seven up actually and we look at how the texture varies and how you change the texture of a chord, which gets their keyboard skills up, their guitar skills up, whilst exploring more ideas around music. So by the time they've learnt about the texture, explored it in a piece of music that exists, and then improvised and developed their own, it lasts a good 10 to 15 weeks. Fantastic. It sounds like you're teaching them music. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it feels like that. Yeah, I hope we are. They all seem to get encouraged by that. And, and we never then end up teaching a unit of work that they might not be able to relate to. So it's all about making it relatable and making it accessible and real. So everything we do, they can listen to any style of music and go, ah, they use that in that pop song, but that's what that Mozart guy used as well. So we always link it right the way through, rather than go, this is orchestral music, this is rap music, this is reggae. We just do the whole thing and we, we drop it into the conversation. That makes so much sense, the way you're explaining it. And obviously you, you seem to have a very good track record for Take Up at Key Stage 4, so it's obviously doing something right. Um, it comes with its challenges because Ironically, in both the schools I've worked at in the last 10 years, well, at All Saints Academy, there were certainly no peripatetic instrumental teachers whatsoever. And the only way to get the students through the performance elements was work that we did in the classroom. So we had to design our Key Stage 3 scheme to make sure that students progressed. So by the time they were in Key Stage 4, they either did keyboard, they sang, they could do guitar, they could do bass guitar or drums, or they had to bring some into the table. So if they couldn't bring some into the table, they did what they were told, which is much like our colleagues in English and science and all the other subjects. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something you and I have also discussed before, how actually 30% of the GCSE course in lots of schools 
teachers take very little responsibility for. But that, I suspect, is a topic for another day. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Yeah, take care. Thanks to Mark Aitchison there. And Mark asked me to say that he's very happy for people to get in touch with him if they have any questions about his clearly very successful approach to music teaching. Well, what else is happening? It's been a quiet year, hasn't it? Well, some schools have now set dates for their various year groups to return, notably years 10 and 12, who obviously have their exams next year. Or do they? The Secretary of State for Education, Gavin Williamson, has said that exams will go ahead in 2021, but we don't yet know what, if any, adjustments there'll be to the system to take into account the contact time lost for the current years 10 and 12. The Chief Regulator of Ofqual, Sally Collier, has said that a consultation process on plans for next year will start in coming weeks, as schools need to know what's happening before the summer break. So watch this space. And now, instead of looking forward, let's look back to the Expo last March. I walked around all the various stores to see what exhibitors had to offer, and a groundbreaking company in their own right is Future DJs. After AQA decided to recognise DJ decks as a musical instrument, brothers Austin and Scott Smart, both DJs themselves, founded Future DJs in 2016, with the aim of bringing DJ into the mainstream of music education. They have some very exciting plans afoot, so it was particularly great to catch up with Austin. Austin here from Future DJs. Uh, so my brother and I founded uh, the company about three and a half years ago. I think this is now our third uh, expo and uh, it's been a really exciting one for us because this year we actually introduced music production as well uh, with, with Soundtrap. It's been, a, yeah, it's been a very exciting show. So I'm a music teacher who doesn't do anything with DJing in my school. Why should I start to include DJing? What can it do for my students? You know, there's a number of students who play all sorts of instruments, but what I've noticed is that any students who maybe play more traditional instruments, when they also DJ, I think it really helps them to just be become quite a lot more creative uh, and, and, you know, relax a lot. So when you say creative, could you just expand on that? How is DJing creative? Maybe it should be more like access creativity quite quickly. So to give you an example as a DJ, you're playing in a club, you get a feeling for what's going on in the audience and you've got three and a half minutes to pick a record from potentially four and a half thousand songs that are maybe on a USB uh, and decide what to play next. And the truth is, in that moment, it's not an analytical question. You kind of really in a sort of flow zone and I know you can do that with every single instrument. So if a music teacher listening to this would like to um, get some DJing going in schools, what kind of packages do you provide? What kind of programs do you provide for schools and how can they contact you? We always put the decks into uh, schools for free. We never wanted that to be a barrier. We have tutors all over the country who teach on a one-to-one or paired basis just like you do with every other instrument. We're also starting to introduce a lot of free resources for teachers and ultimately just to make you as the teacher feel confident to be able to engage with your students when talking about DJing or electronic music production in certain genres. Are there whole schemes of work available or is it just peripatetic lessons? 
So originally when we started this, that we were just doing the lessons. Uh, this year, and again, it being an exciting year for us, we launching our London College of Music uh, graded examinations. They go up to grade five. Um, they're actually showing on the LCM stand now. And our book just came out with Faber Music, um, Future DJs, How to DJ, which uh, is, yeah, has gone down really, really well exciting times it's a very very exciting time and uh, yeah we're, we're all having a lot of fun and um, one of our students actually she's going to be opening the main stage at Amsterdam Open Air Festival she was one of the first students who started her journey with Scott my brother uh, doing pretty much the first ever lessons so yeah good fun journey thanks to Austin Smart from Future DJs there Although many of us have, in the last few months, been preoccupied with more immediate challenges, it does no harm at all to look ahead to bigger projects for when normality begins to return. A few years ago, I played an Oktoberfest gig for a charity called Brass for Africa and got chatting to its founder, Jim Trott. As the name suggests, Brass for Africa is a charity that uses the power of music, specifically brass music, to transform lives in Africa, specifically Uganda. Jim is an amateur cornet player who, on a trip to Uganda, had noticed extreme poverty there. When his son's brass band was looking to lose 30 old brass instruments, Jim seized the opportunity to put them to good use out in Uganda. And what a great decision. Over a decade later, they have several brass bands, patrons such as Alison Balsam and Guy Barker, and a whole education programme transforming the lives of some of the least fortunate people. Their education programme can now involve UK schools, so I'm very, very pleased to welcome to Teaching Notes the founder of Brass for Africa, Jim Trott. Thanks, Patrick. Lovely to be here. Jim, can you tell me about some of the programmes you run out in Uganda? Well, we're delivering to around about 1,200 children each and every week. We deliver twice uh, weekly music education that's in the form of brass band lessons. Uh, integrated into those lessons are life skill training sessions built around eight key attributes, such things as um, self-confidence, communication, problem solving, etc. Um, and the really cool thing about this is delivered by ex-participants of the programs, all of our teachers, and we have uh, 17 now, we're, we're looking to train more apprentices. They've all come up through the programs over the past 10 years. And so they are from the same backgrounds as the young people that they're working with and teaching. That's what we do day in, day out. So we've got this team of young people that are learning musical instruments and we realised about five years ago that some of these young people could start teaching back in their communities. What we really needed to do was lift the ceiling on learning and actually develop those teachers so that they could really make a bigger impact musically on the communities they're working in. And so we were delighted to welcome um, someone who's been working with the charity for four or five years now, but she's actually come and join us as our full-time director of music education. She started two years ago in September and she's based in Kampala and her name is uh, Lizzie Burrows. Thanks, Jim. And Lizzie, thank you for joining us too. Great to be here, Patrick. Thank you. Now, Lizzie, you were a classroom music teacher, weren't you, at Reading Bluecoat School, and then you were director of music at St Dunstan's College in South East London. So I know that as well as your work out in Kampala, you are keen for UK schools to get involved with Brass for Africa, to fundraise, to partner the charity, and so on and so on. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It would be possible if a school wanted to, if it was suitable for them to have a high level of engagement with us. If there was space in, you know, in their school timetable, then there could be a year's worth of engagement, including things like streaming concerts, assembly presentations, online teaching, culminating perhaps in a school trip 
maybe musicians from the UK school would come on tour to Uganda and or host brass for Africa musicians coming to perform and speak at their school. On the other hand, there could be a much lower level of engagement and that could be through consultation with the school and music department and perhaps the charity committee to find out whether one or part of one of those ideas might suit them. I think it's important to say that we're looking for transformational and not transactional experiences. We do rely on donations and funding and every pound that would be raised by a school would be cherished and would go to really, really good use. But it's much more than that. If you take, for example, the opportunity to have a concert on Zoom with students from the UK performing and being watched by students in Uganda, and then students in Uganda performing, that means that it's a global stage for our musicians. It means that the children in the UK school get to have a cultural exchange and get to learn something about another environment. What I found about my own students in the UK is that it makes them cherish what they have even more. It makes them cherish their ability and their teachers and their talents and the opportunities that they have. And it even raises the profile of music in the school I think so often, with schools being so busy in terms of a co-curricular timetable, in terms of how many opportunities they offer their students, sometimes departments can find themselves fighting for their right to exist, even when school wants to support them. And I found that being a partner with Brass for Africa was something that really opened people's minds to the fact that music rings around transformational change in the person. If people want to be a part of that journey, then they really can. We're quite a small charity who do a lot of really good work and a school could be a really significant partner for us as well. You can make a real difference and have really meaningful interactions with us. And we would find the interactions with the UK school very meaningful as well. Thanks, Lizzie. That sounds really, really worthwhile and a very exciting project to be part of. And Brass for Africa's work has attracted some pretty high-profile brass musicians to support it. My name is Alison Balsam and I'm a classical trumpet player and also director of Cheltenham Music Festival. I'm now a patron of Brass for Africa and this is because I believe that it's such a a pure way to get from what we know is important, you know, playing music and the power of music, right to people who need it most. And I've seen on many occasions how it's absolutely changed people's lives. So quite early on in my involvement with the charity, Jim invited both Guy Barker and myself to go to Uganda and see it with our own eyes because I think it was really important for us to really, really understand what was going on and how how much of a difference it was really making. It's all very well talking about it here. Um, so we took that trip to really see for ourselves what was happening and all the changes that the charity was affecting. And I would say that it changed both of our lives, seeing the power of brass playing in the community and seeing all the incredible work the charity was doing. It really was um, staggering, and it still is. It's growing exponentially, and I think that's what's most exciting about this. One of the most powerful things about Brass for Africa is the way that we can all learn. All of us are learning from each other, and I feel that um, it's not just us helping musicians and brass players in Uganda but there's a real genuine exchange of ideas and and learning Um, and what's really brilliant about it and one of the reasons I'll always support it is that we're trying to make sure that the people who live there and the older brass players and mentors and musicians are able to have the tools to help the younger ones and I think having that sustainability is working and you know it's growing which is great. 
Grass for Africa patron Alison Balsam. So, Jim, could you tell us a little more about the music the bands in Kampala play and the wider effect of the music on the young people? The young musicians we work with in Africa, they have an incredible ear, they can a sense of ensemble, they learn things very quickly and by rote, um, but they also love to read music. And, you know, we've got a great composer in residence in Alan Fernie, and he writes specifically for them, which they love, but they, they embrace new music and the ability to read music um, on a music stand is something that they absolutely love. And what's fantastic about that is we can sit, you know, an African-based child alongside a, a UK-based child, they can sit there, they can communicate using the same language, reading that same music. Um, and it's a very powerful thing, actually. It transcends economic boundaries, uh, geographic boundaries, racial, cultural differences. And, and if we're speaking that common language, it becomes a very, very powerful tool. We can also use this music to create significant change within communities and within individuals. And we have, you know, four key pillars of the strategy driving it forward. Music drives everything forward, but we work with over 30 local partner organizations and we help them fulfill their objectives. And the four key pillars we focus on are things such as gender equality, making sure there's an opportunity and safe space uh, for young girls and women, championing the inclusion of people living with disability, community empowerment, empowering communities to address issues that they're dealing with, mainly around poverty, but also around things like HIV, etc. And the other thing, through music, and your music teachers listening to this will know this, there are so many transferable skills. And through this life skills that you gain through music, we create workplace readiness. And when you're looking at a place with youth unemployment over 50%, then if you've got that little bit extra, then perhaps your life chances will change. And if schools want to find out more about Brass for Africa and how they can get involved, where can they find you? How can they get in touch? The best way is to go to our website, uh, www.brassforafrica.org. Have a really good look at what we're about um, and then contact us through there or just email us at info at brassforafrica.org and anything coming in, with schools partnerships we'll go towards Lizzie and she can um, then get in touch with the relevant department. Wonderful thank you both very very much. It's been a pleasure lovely to uh, talk to you again Patrick. Uh, thank you for having us Patrick. Thank you to Jim Trott, Lizzie Burrows and of course to Alison Balsam for that insight into Brass for Africa and do get in touch with them to find out how your school can get involved especially but not exclusively if you have a brass group at school. Thanks, too, to our other contributors, Mark Aitchison and Austin Smart. And that's it for now. If you'd like to take part in a future podcast, please do email me, media at musicteachers.org. I would love to hear from you to find out about your projects, your thoughts and your ideas. We are more than the sum of our parts, especially during such a time of change. If you're not yet an MTA member, then I would urge you to join. It's just over £60 a year, and you get so much. The Turbany Magazine Ensemble, with its interviews, features and resources. The twice-weekly Zoom meetings, the Facebook staff room, and of course, the annual conference. Just visit musicteachers.org. Please help spread the word of this podcast far and wide by sharing it on your social media accounts and telling friends and colleagues about it. A personal recommendation is worth a dozen likes. I'll be back next week with another edition of Teaching Notes with some wonderful guests and some thought-provoking ideas. Thank you for listening, and from me, Patrick Johns, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.